Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. Thank you, Brother Gleason. Praise the Lord, everyone. I want to tell you what a great honor and privilege I count it to come here and to preach to you wonderful people. Turn to your neighbor, shake their hand, and say, you are wonderful. Some people are smiling right now that have not smiled all through the service. But you are a wonderful, wonderful people. And I feel honored to know personally your pastor and his wife. I've known Brother Gleason since he was quite young. And he comes from what I call a regal and noble family in the Lord. He has a great heritage. They are marvelous Christians, and obviously they are transmitting that to you because I can feel that among you here in this particular congregation. I believe in you perhaps more than you believe in yourselves. And I am thankful for what God has done here in this particular conference. Today, in conjunction with what I've had to say, and in conjunction with what has happened in these services, I do want to leave you with this particular bit of information. It is in conjunction with all that has happened and has been said, but it does have an entirely different flavoring. I want to say to you before I begin, even to read the text that I want to draw from, I have carried a Bible to this pulpit. And before I read from it, I want to point out something to you. The Bible is the anvil that has worn out many hammers. Napoleon said it best. Napoleon said, the Bible is no mere book, but a living creature with the power to destroy all that oppose it. Despite over now, over 100 years of what they call intellectually higher biblical criticism, and other attempts to discredit the Bible. The Bible's validity remains unassailable. And for us, as apostolic Christians, this book is the final source of appeal. Because between the covers of this book lie the answers to the problems of life. And to open the cover is to bring you into direct presence of God and with God. And to read from its pages is to hear directly from him. Because it makes sense to me, if there is a God, he would make a way for us to know about him. And he has through his word. And so from such a book, and these are prophetic verses, I want to read to you today from Isaiah chapter 62 and verse 1. Here, the prophet Isaiah prophesied, wrote, and no doubt preached in the streets. He said, for Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. In Zechariah chapter 12, verses 2 through 3, the Bible says here, 
Zechariah prophesying and again no doubt preaching in the streets behold I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem and in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it I want to entitle this today prophetical or prophetic location for us in 2004 would you lift your hands your voices and your hearts and would you pray that God will do with us once again here today exactly what he wants to do Lord Jesus today we thank you for your tremendous presence among us. We thank you for the touch of the master's hand, for the sandaled footfall of the man from Galilee walking through the corners of our hearts. We praise you for the breath of the Almighty that is upon us. We thank you that the air in this sanctuary is charged with the presence of Almighty God and that because you are here today, Lord Jesus, anything can happen. Anything is possible in the presence of the Lord. Bind us together now in one mind and one accord. Anoint us both to hear and to speak. We will not fail to give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. We ask these things in the mighty, saving, healing name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, the Lord bless you. You may go down clapping. Would you once again clap your hands and would you lift your voice of praise to him? That's a wonderful sound to me. It's an inspirational sound. It is an anointed thrust of sound and accolades and veneration to the Lord. But I wonder what would happen if every man, every woman, every young person would clap and lift their voice. Many did not. So do it again. Every man, every woman, every boy, even visitors. You clap for other things. Why not clap for God? Why not clap for Jesus, His Word, and His marvelous divine interventions among us as a people? Jesus, I praise you. Again, I want to read briefly. Behold, the Bible says, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all people round about. In that day, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it, meaning Jerusalem. It may be interesting for you to learn here today if you do not know this already, that the United Nations has passed more resolutions concerning the city of Jerusalem than any other subject in its entire agenda. And most everything they pass is something against Jerusalem, against its activities, against its existence. If the United Nations does indeed represent the majority of the world's population, 
then Jerusalem has truly become a burdensome stone for all people in our lifetime in the day in which we live. That Bible is fulfilled in our hearing and in our sight now. A court chaplain in the 18th century was asked by Frederick the Great, what one word is proof that the Bible is inspired? The chaplain replied, the Jew, your majesty. Because neither logic nor rules of history have ever been capable of explaining the extraordinary nature of everything involving that small and peculiar people, the Jews, nor the land that they were promised Israel. But while I'm speaking to you right now, a very frightful thing is happening. The Europeans never seem to learn. Hatred is rising terribly throughout all of Europe against the Jews. Cemeteries are being destroyed, terribly desecrated. Jewish buildings are being damaged and set on fire. And they've even attempted to take some Jewish lives, even now in this hour, in and throughout Europe. In fact, Nazism is stronger now in Austria among the youth than it was under Hitler in World War II. They are determined to dissect and destroy Israel and the Jewish people. But this dissecting of Israel has been going on now for over 70 years. It's interesting, it's very notable for me to understand and to know the research and study that after the collapse of the Ottoman Empire and after World War I, nations of the world got together at Versailles to decide what should be done with the various, the large various collapsed land areas representing various empires and decided what nations would get what and where, what nations would be liberated. The Jewish question came up as it always does. The Jewish people, it was decided by this assembly of the world's then great leaders and statesmen, they decided that the minimal thing that should be done for the Jewish people would be to give them the historical land of Israel, which was to include all of the land of Jordan, the west and east banks. At this time, after, right after World War I, there were only 16 million Jews in the world before World War II. Israel would have been a very tiny land area for 16 million people to occupy at that time. Men like Woodrow Wilson, Lloyd George of England, and other great leaders decided, I repeat, the minimal thing that was to be done was to give the Jewish people a national home. But in 1920, a mandate was drafted and received by the British and became known in history as the British Mandate. Once that mandate was in the hands of the British, the British gave 80% of the original land decided upon at Versailles, designated to the Jewish people for a homeland. 80% of that was given to the Arabs. And the Hashemite kingdom of Jordan was established. This was strictly a modern invention of the British. There's never been a Hashemite kingdom. It's nowhere in history. It's a modern invention. Now Israel has only 20% of the original land area 
originally given to them at Versailles after World War I. It may be of interest also for you to know biblically that the kingdom of Jordan actually is illegally occupying land that was given by God to three tribes of Israel, Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben. And they understand and know that because the Bible and its context is widely studied and known throughout the Middle East. In 1947 and 48, the British pulled out. Israel fought the Arabs for the whole of the land. But Israel was left with no weapons. The British demanded that the Israelis turn in all of their weapons and surrender them before they pulled out and left the land of Palestine because they believed the Arabs would run them over and once again it would be the end of the Jewish question. The British did that. <clears throat> in fact, my guide in Israel, Moshe Kafre, he lives in Kiryat Ono outside of Tel Aviv. His parents were Russian Jews. They walked, walked from Russia in the early 1900s to get back to the promised land. They walked. It took them months. They came across the borders into the land that was then called Palestine and settled in malaria-infested swamps. And the Arabs called them the children of death. And the Arabs would not go in there because they feared the malaria. But the Jewish people went in there and drained the swamps and turned it into a garden of Eden. Moshe has fought in all the wars of Israel's independence. He told me and my tour group one day, standing in northern Israel where some of the most fierce battles had been fought, he said when the British pulled out, he said after the UN and the mandate and all of that, he said we were thrilled thinking that the world would be behind us. He said but when they confiscated our weapons, we realized that we were alone once again. There was nothing we could do but to depend on the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and to stand upon the ancient promises of the word of God. <clears throat> he said so. We adopted the very same tactics that our ancestors adopted in all of their wars against the Philistines and other enemies that you read about in the land of Israel. He said, he said, Lee, we only had just a few weapons among us. We only had a few guns in the kibbutz where we lived and where we were operating out of. He said, and we had very few rounds of ammunition. What were we going to do? We were outnumbered 40 to 1 with all the Arab countries around. He said, sir, we had, we had old iron wagon wheels and we found some iron rods. And he said in the nighttime, he said before dawn, we would pull out these, these iron wheels and we would take the iron rod and we'd run it around these spokes and make all kinds of racket. We would beat metal together. We would shout and make noise. He said, then we'd, we'd risk losing two or three rounds of ammunition. We would fire into the air. He said, but at, from a distance, it sounded like there were hundreds and hundreds of us. And he said, it struck fear in the hearts of the enemies and they would run. He said, with a burst of noise, we would bur burst over the hilltop. And he he said they would be running and he said the victory would become ours he said we had only one jet we decided we would land it leave it there for 10 minutes take off circle over the Mediterranean come back and land it 10 minutes later 
wait 10 minutes and take the same jet off, go out over the uh, Mediterranean, come back and land it. He said from a distance, it looked like thousands were coming to our rescue. He said, but there was only one jet. There was just a handful of us. He said, but it worked. And there is a verse of scripture in Hebrew that says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. God does not need numbers. He just needs a man. He just needs a woman that will do what he says and his power will come upon the scene. They won out numbered 40 to 1. Oh, I can take you into the Golden Heights on the mountain there where this big radar system is. And it was in the hands of the Arabs. And so what they did, they took their Israeli jets into the air and they cut tinfoil and little squares. And high up, they threw out thousands of these little squares of tinfoil and it just floated all down through the atmosphere. And on the radar screens below, it looked like they were picking up all kinds of jets in the air and fear gripped them. They got in under the, the rays of that radar and they landed the jet and came into that tower and took it over without firing a shot. They did it totally by surprise. People listen, it's not in logic, it's not in human reasoning, it's in the power and the wisdom and the might of Almighty God. That's why I'm so positive in this hour. Nothing can stop you. If you want to serve God, nothing can stop you. You don't like the way you are, pray. God will change you. He can change your mind. He can change your personality. He can change everything. He can make a way for you where there is no way. He's got you this far. He's going to get you the rest of the way because He is God. He is God. He's a deliverer. He's a sanctifier. He is a healer. He is a rescuer. He's my bread when I'm hungry. He's my drink when I'm thirsty. He's the captain of my host. He'll stick closer than a brother. He can be a mother to you, a father to you, a brother to you, a sister to you. He's my cleft in the rock. He's my shade from the heat of the day. He is my mighty sword. He is is everything you're ever going to need and more because this Jesus he is God and beside him there is no other do you feel like tapping again do you feel like shouting again yes hallelujah in fact, in 1967, the Jews captured the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, and the Temple Mount after 2,000 years. My guide told me, he said, Lee, we were in the Negev. He said, when the news came that the Temple Mount was back in our hands after 2,000 years, he said, soldiers who had been through terrible war and had seen horrible brutal activity just reached up and took their hats off and tears ran down their faces and they just cried and sobbed like a baby what is it about some wall that would affect people like that it's because to that wall and in that area that area heard the sandaled footfall of the man from Galilee the voices of the prophets of old had spoken what thus saith the Lord in that area and now after two thousand years it's back in the hands of the descendants of Abraham. I had the privilege of meeting Gershon Solomon. Gershon Solomon is head of that uh, group that is trying to rebuild the temple. He's the one that carried the cornerstone in his people. 
uh, and it caused havoc in the land. It caused havoc in the government. It caused havoc among the Arabs. But Gershon Solomon, he absolutely will not stop. And I had the privilege of having tea with him in the lobby of the King David Hotel, which is a very lovely, wonderful, wonderful place. And I noticed as we sat there and talked, that dignitaries come in, all kinds of important people come there and have tea in that area. So here I am sitting, talking with him, and have just met him maybe 10 minutes before. It was amazing. Everybody that came in, they knew who he was. And they would either salute, signal, or come by and say shalom. And they saw he was busy with me and a friend of mine, and so they would just go on. But I knew I was in the presence of someone important, and he is somewhat crippled. He walks with a limp, yet he is, everything about him looks very strong. And so I began to talk with him, and I said, Gershon, how is it that you are doing what you are doing with all of this restoration of the temple? What got you into this? He said, oh, let me tell you. He said, I was fighting with my whole uh, group of soldiers. He said, in the Golan Heights. He said, the Arabs came in and he said, they just slaughtered us. He said, they shot down every soldier that was with me. He said, I was hit. He said, I was in terrible shape. He said, I was lying on the ground, but I wasn't dead. He said, and they came through. He said, because the Arabs hate us so much. They're not, they're not content to see an Israeli soldier fall they will walk through the battleground and just put an extra bullet through their head to make sure they are dead so great is the hatred he said but I saw them coming toward me and he said I knew that they would put a bullet through my head he said because I was still alive he said they, were, they would kill me they would not leave me alive he said so I cried out with what voice I had left and I cried to the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and he said if you have a purpose for my life somehow spare my life and I will do for you and your people and this nation what I can to restore truth he said, all of a sudden, the soldier that came toward me, was walking toward me, stopped, and his face looked scared, and his eyes widened, and he looked at the horizon, turned and ran, gave some kind of a shout, and turned and ran back over the hilltop with the other soldiers. He said, they left me alive. They ran. He said, and eventually, he said, there were Israelis that came through, and they found me, and he said, they took me to the hospital. He said, and they tried to fix the bones and everything that had been shot and broken. He said, and I'm doing well, he said, but I have this limp. He said, a few years later, he said, after the war had been won totally, and he said, everything was settled down, he said, I ran into that Muslim Arab soldier that was walking toward me to kill me. And he said, I walked up to him and said to him, why didn't you kill me when you had the chance? He said, that Arab looked at me and said, we couldn't kill you. Gershon said, why? He said, because suddenly on the horizon, standing on that hillside, there were thousands and thousands of Israeli soldiers in uniform with guns. He said, we would have been slaughtered. We ran for our lives. There were no soldiers. They were angels of the Lord that suddenly appeared because it is written, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. My God in heaven, people, if God would do that for a Jew who doesn't even know who Jesus is, who doesn't believe in him because he adheres to the laws of the Old Testament, what would he do for the likes of us who know him, who have his name, who are filled with his spirit?
You have not because you ask not. If you understand what I'm saying, you ought to be on your face every day at the top of your voice petitioning God. You ought to be asking for signs and wonders and miracles and revival and healing. Why not? God's going to do it. He's going to have it. It is written. It is written that the end will be better than the beginning and the last revival. It's going to be seven times greater than the former because it is written in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Do you hear me? If God pours out upon all flesh what we've been experiencing here the last two days, you have any idea what's going to happen? There's going to be dancing in the streets. There's going to be shouting in the streets. It's going to shake cities and nations. Yes! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I feel the glory of God in this place and I can feel that anointing not only on myself but I can feel an anointing upon this congregation today I can feel anointing coming from this area there's anointing coming from here there's anointing from here there's anointing in this area you can feel the power of God is in this house he's in this house so you ought to clap again you ought to lift your voice you ought to just simply shout to the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob who has a name that is above every name his name is Jesus of Nazareth hallelujah Jesus I worship you the so-called Arab world the so-called Arab world has four million 560,000 square miles of land area in which to live. Israel has only 7,992 square miles of land area. Less than 8,000 square miles. That's all they're asking for in the entire world. Israel has less than one five hundredth of the land area as the Arab world. They have less than one-fifth of one percent. The Arab world has 22 nations, and now they want a 22nd one within the state of Israel. Nonsense! It's utter and total politically corrupt nonsense, and it's anti-Semitism at its height. The Jews, and I can prove every word I'm saying, the Jews have had an attachment to the nation and land of Israel for 3,500 years. An attachment that has no parallel in the history of nations. I can take you to Galilee, the area of Galilee, and show you families that have lived there and their descendants from the days of Abraham. They never left the land. <clears throat> Mark Twain, about two years ago, they opened his journals. Mark Twain, in his lifetime, took a trip, a tour to Palestine, and they just opened his journals. You know what he wrote about Israel in his journals and it's been published? He said in his journal, he said, of Israel, of Palestine, as it was called in those days, he said, there are no people here. There are no cities. It's just desert and wasteland. Scorpions and jackals. He said, this nation is finished. This nation will never rise again. These people will never rise again. But he doesn't understand the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who maketh covenant and who is a covenant-keeping God with his people who said, I will draw you from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and I will establish you in your land and I will rebuild your cities and your end 
shall be better than your beginning. They do not understand. He did not understand that. You know when the Arabs came back to Israel? When the Jews came back to set up shops to make money and sell to the tourist. That's when they came back. They have not always been there. It's total propaganda. The Temple Mount, think about this. The Temple Mount at the time of Jesus, the Temple of Herod, the temple you read about in the Bible, Jesus walking into, preaching, picking up, driving him out, covered 37 acres of ground. It was the largest building complex in the then known world. It was larger than all the pyramids of Egypt put together. Would have been and should have been one of the wonders, the seven wonders of the ancient world, except for the ever-present anti-Semiticism. Nothing has ever been built like it. Nothing has ever been built like it. I can take you to areas I've been through. There are foundation stones that weigh over 35 tons, and they are chiseled, and they are hammered, uh, they are cut so precisely that you can't even get a piece of typing paper between the stones, and they do not know how they did it. On that mountain, on that temple mountain, in the days of Solomon, the Shekinah glory of God fell in the temple, the glory of God until they could not even see to minister. What is it, people, about a city set on a hill halfway around the world that the whole world is fighting over it and people are discussing it daily? It's in the news daily. What is it about this city called Jerusalem? What is it about such a city? What is it about this city that has the whole world involved? And every day the United Nations votes about it, passes some resolution against it. What is it? It's in the news every day. Every day it has become a stumbling block to all people. The Europeans are saying that it's the Jews and Jerusalem that's causing the uproar in the world. Nonsense! A lie from the pits of hell. But a fulfillment of Bible scripture. What is it about this city? Because Jerusalem is a city unlike any other city that has ever existed. Because I can take you there. I promise you it is a city of gold. Because the ordinances, the building ordinances, that no building can be built out of any material except that pale gold limestone. You don't see red buildings and green buildings and blue buildings. Everything is built out of that pale gold limestone. And when the sun sets upon that city, it of gold sets upon a hill. And when the long fingers of dawn crawl over those mountaintops and illumines the recesses and the darkness of the valleys, that city begins to glow. There is a holiness that rises from that city into the very heavens. And there is a holiness that falls from the heavens upon that city. You can feel it. Jerusalem is different. Tel Aviv is just a modern metropolis like any other city in the world. They got the nightclubs and all that noise and the racket and the nonsense. But when you enter Jerusalem, there are no loud noises. There are no discos. And there is modest dress. Immodest dress is not allowed there. Why? Because it is a holy city. Because in that city, the prophets of old walked there. 
and spake as I said, what thus saith the Lord. And the sandal-footed footfall of the man from Galilee walked upon those ancient stones, and he cried with a loud voice, Come unto me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He healed the lepers. He cleansed when he walked into the temple. He was the personified image of the Shekinah that had fallen in the days of Solomon. Oh, oh, Jerusalem is a holy city. It's not like any other city in the world, and anti-God people, anti-Semiticism would like to wipe out all of that. Do you know what I really believe in my spirit and heart? You know why Hitler did what he did against the Jews? Say, that man was a Satanist. I have talked to soldiers that have visited the caves where Hitler went and worshipped Lucifer. He was a Satanist. And what's sad about it is Hitler's grandfather was Jewish. He never visited a concentration camp. Hitler never visited one concentration camp. Not one. But the devil took possession of him. And the devil, hear me, hates the doctrine of hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God is one God. He hates the doctrine and the truth of one God more than any other doctrine or truth that exists. You know who the devil fights the most? Not Trinitarians, not Hindus, not Buddhists, not Muslims. He fights oneness people because he knows they are the people that are going to get out of here at the sound of the trumpet. He knows that there is nothing that can fight against a oneness individual. He hates the oneness. He hates the truth of here, O Israel, the Lord is one God. May I say it with all of my might and power and voice and energy that is left. There are not two gods. There are not three gods. There's not a half a dozen gods. There's not a million gods. There's only one God. One God. One God. It is the greatest revelation that a human mind and heart can ever receive. And his name is... Say it again. Again. Oh, clap your hands and shout that glorious name. Clap your hands and shout that mighty name. Clap your hands and shout that saving name. Jesus. You know what the, you know what the Holocaust was all about? Satan believed. He's such a fool. He always crawls out clear on the end of the limb. We can cut the limb off. And just cut it off in the name of Jesus. Mm. Satan believed he saw his chance to rid the earth of one God believers. And that's why he wanted to kill every Jew that existed. Satan used. Do you understand me here today when I tell you Satan has no influence of his own? He doesn't have any influence of his own. He borrows all of his influence from people. Satan didn't kill Jesus. He got people to do that. Satan didn't kill the prophets of old. He got people to do that. Satan doesn't give you that much trouble. He borrows his influence from those among us who gossip and talk and butcher. That's what he does. I refuse to be used by him. He will not get my influence. I will pray. If you don't like me, then pray for me. 
Don't just cut me up and throw me on the garbage heap. Pray that God will change me, that God will deliver me, that God will help me. That's what I do for you. If I don't like you, I'm going to pray for you till I do like you. Because Jesus loves you. If we could get a hold of that, we could change the world. We could change the world if we would love each other. The devil, the devil thought, the devil thought he would destroy the oneness people. But that backfired, and then revival has broken out among apostolic oneness people, and he is in a tailspin at this moment in time. Brother Barnes, he's a prophet of God. He is a mentor to me. We've been great friends for many, many years. He called me. We talked one day. Actually, in his office, he was telling me this. He said, Brother Stone King, guess what I did? There's no telling what he did. I said, what? Very cautiously, I said, what? I have to be careful because sometimes I can get involved in the what, and I want to make sure everything's all right. So he said, my phone rang last week. He said, a witch called me. Because there's a lot of Satanism in Minda, Louisiana area. Occultism and Satanism is just all over the place there. He said, this witch called me, and she said, are you T.W. Barnes? He said, yes, I am. She said, I'm coming to curse you. He said, come ahead. He fears nothing. Nothing. I wouldn't even think a bad thought in his presence. It's not worth it, people. It's just not worth it. It's not worth it. <laughs> she came. This witch walked in his office. His office is not big. She said, T.W. Barnes, I've come to curse you. He said, go ahead. See, because he knows what I have preached here. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Ah, ah. He said, Brother Stone King, she cursed the chandelier. She cursed the curtains, the windows, the drapes, my furniture, my desk. And then she turned to me and said, now I'm going to curse you that you'll not be able to sleep at night and that you'll die of exhaustion. He said she went through all these things. And she left. She walked out. He said, I went on about my business. He said, I just went on. He said, but that night, I got to bed about 2 o'clock in the morning. He said, I woke up about 2 o'clock in the morning. He said, I could feel a demonic presence in my bedroom. He said, so, go back the covers, put my feet on the floor. And he said, I said, devil, come here. And the devil has to come. He has to come. He said, devil, come here. And he said, Brother Stone King, I could feel that presence come from that corner toward me. And he said, when it got close, he said, thank you. He said, I know why you're here, and I know who sent you now. I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to go back to the one who sent you and you do to her what she sent you to do to me. I command it in Jesus' name. He said, Brother Stone King, that devil left my room immediately. It was gone. He said, I just sat back down. He said, pulled up the covers and fell back asleep. He said, about three hours later, my phone rang. He said, it was the witch. She was screaming. 
Brother Barnes, Brother Barnes, get this thing off of me. Get this thing off of me. I'm being tormented. What I'm saying is, you can turn the thing around. You can turn it backwards. Send it back where it came from. You don't have to go through that. You don't have to be tormented. You can turn it around. You can send it back. Jesus, and I've got a feeling some of you need to do some commanding here today in the name of Jesus Christ and send that battle back to the one who sent it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a tormentor of the devil. I am a tormentor of the devil. I'm tormenting him every time I preach. I'm tormenting him every time I witness. You torment him every time you worship we are the greatest tormentors of the devil in the world. Do you want to torment him for just a moment? Do you want to shout? Do you want to dance? Do you want to just praise him? Do you want to clap a hand? Yes! Jesus! Jesus of Nazareth. I can feel it working while you're praying. I can feel it working. You can feel there's a turning, there's a there's a struggle in the spirit world, but there's something. It's like angels of light and fire in flaming swords are pushing the forces of darkness back. Hallelujah! 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 Jesus, where are we in all of this? Where are we in all of this prophetic unfoldings in this hour? I listened to a lecture, a live lecture, by Ariel Sharon, the present Prime Minister of Israel. He said Syria now has 6,000 tanks. Iraq has over 3,000 tanks. Jordan has a thousand tanks. Egypt has 5,000 tanks. Saudi Arabia is presently building up tremendous armaments. Saudi Arabia has purchased $60 billion in military hardware just since 1991. Egypt is building at this moment the largest air force in the entire Middle East. Iraq and Iran have missiles building for chemical warheads and nuclear weapons. In fact, the Debka file online, which is a military uh, intelligence source for Israel, and they report the latest news. I don't bother to read the news in this country or newspapers because you don't get the news. Americans don't get the news. You know why? Because the news media in America is owned by Muslim investment. 44% of CNN is owned by Muslim investment. You don't get the news here. I read newspapers out of this country. It's amazing what they report that you as Americans do not hear. The 
the Debeka file reported that the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq were smuggled out while we toyed with the UN for six weeks or more. They had time to smuggle everything out. And you know where they are? They're in Iran, they are in Syria, and they are in Lebanon. If Bush and our government had bombed Iraq six weeks before he did, he would have found everything he was looking for. In fact, America should stop hosting the United Nations. It should be stopped. It's a curse to this country, a curse to this country. It always has been. Russia used it as a spy channel for years and years and years against this country. They used it because all of those people in there have diplomatic immunity. They can come and go in this country without any difficulties at all. You and I can't, but they can. There are people now calling in on talk shows all over the country saying, the United States should stop hosting the United Nations. Stop it. Why? Syria is building feverishly in these directions. In fact, just recently, Syria has experimented with some chemical warfare. Our news media didn't print it, but they have, and, it, and they have killed people. It's proof that they have, they have got a hold of some of those things. Why are these people building? Why are these nations building for all of this warfare? Why do they want so many tanks? Why are they building the biggest air force? Why are they doing this? Because in Revelation it says there will be a battle, the last battle of Armageddon between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. And the stage is being set now. The players are all in place. The stage is set for the book of Revelation and all of Daniel's 70th week's prophecy that we've taught and heard about in the Bible. The stage is set. In fact, I can take you to the Mount of Olives. And as you look at the Mount of Olives, right across the Kidron Valley from the Temple Mount and Jerusalem and the Jewish quarter in Jerusalem, I've been there many times, you'll notice as you look all over the mountains around Jerusalem, there are skyscrapers, huge hotels, all kinds of things that are built. But on the Mount of Olives, there are no skyscrapers. There are no massive buildings. Do you know why? Because there is a fault line under the earth, right under the Temple Mount. And the Bible says when Jesus comes, he will set foot on the Mount of Olives, and the mountain will cleave in its midst. And that the cleavage will be so great that the waters of the Mediterranean Sea will flow through that cleavage all the way to the Dead Sea. And the fishermen in Engedi will fish and catch the same fish during the millennial rain that they catch in the Mediterranean Sea. Because the waters of the Mediterranean Sea will flow through that great cleavage, and it will heal the waters of the Dead Sea and fill that entire thing to a massive lake. There is a fault line right now under the Mount of Olives. They're afraid to build skyscrapers there for fear it will just sink into the earth or it'll topple. They can't. I mean, God has got everything arranged the way he wants it for his word, and there's nothing that man can do. Man has such an exalted opinion of himself, but have you ever noticed God can send a few snowflakes, a few hailstones, a little wind, and man runs for cover. That fault line, get this, this will be very meaningful if you know anything about Bible prophecy and the end. That fault line runs right under the Mount of Olives, out through the land area of Israel, underneath the Mediterranean Sea, and goes right straight through Rome, Italy. So when he sets foot on the Mount of Olives, and that great earthquake and that cleavage, ah, that thing will ripple under the Mediterranean Sea, 
and it would appear to me that the whole lower part of the peninsula of Italy will just drop off into the sea, and Rome will fall. That's why the ships of the earth, because you may not know this, but the Vatican, most ships of the earth fly under the Vatican flag because the taxes are lower. That is why the merchants at sea, when that happens, will cry, Babylon the Great, Babylon the Great is fallen because the, the merchandise that is controlled by that part of the world will cry and they will, they will fall and crumble and they will cry. Commerce will be destroyed. The stage is totally, totally set. The players are all in place, is what I am saying. In Daniel chapter 11, 37, 38, speaking of the Antichrist, it says, neither shall he regard the God of his fathers. That means he's a backslidden Jew because the Jews will never accept a non-Jew as the Messiah. Jesus said, I've come in my father's name. You've rejected me, you would not hear me, but there will be one that will come in his own name. Him you will hear. He will not regard the God of his fathers. I listened to a tape where someone said they felt that Gorbachev, they were 80% sure that Gorbachev was the Antichrist. Absolute nonsense. The Jews would never hail an ex-Roman dictator, I mean an ex-Russian dictator, as the Messiah. That's nonsense. Tell them I said so. It's nonsense. Look at this. Nor the desire of women. Indicative. He will have a homosexual spirit. Nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above God. This whole homosexual agenda that has just burst in the last 15 years, that is the spirit of the Antichrist. That's connected with that spirit, that age. Because homosexuality has always been on the scene wherever there were great judgments of God, and it ended. It ended whole eras of God's dealing with humanity in the world. And that thing is rising right now. It's connected to that spirit. And I believe the Antichrist is alive right now. He may be young or younger, but he is alive right now in the earth because you can feel the chilly winds of the tribulation period blowing. You can feel it, though the church will not go through the tribulation period, but the stage is set and you can feel the winds of that thing blowing. He goes on to say, but in his estate, shall he honor the God of forces. That means military power. And a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. I don't know if you've ever watched this or taken note of it, but all the countries around the Mediterranean Sea have deposed, dethroned their kings and their sovereign. All of those countries are basically controlled by a military government. In fact, I was stood in the streets of Athens, Greece in 1968 when they had just toppled, just before we arrived there, they had toppled King Constantine and his family. And King Constantine and his family now live in London, England. And I saw the parade when those black limousines came through the streets with all those military dignitaries who had taken over the government. In fact, all of those countries around the Mediterranean Sea are already set up with a military force in power. And that is the thing that the Antichrist will work through. He will worship the god of munitions, the god of military force and might. Queen Elizabeth is the strongest, most powerful reigning monarch in the world right now. 
Others are typically figurehead, but she still has power. But there is a movement on in England to depose and to destroy the, the monarchy and the royal family in England. They are determined to destroy it. It's the spirit of the end time because that thing is going to come to pass. People, that's how close we are with all of this. In fact, I know you love Brother Gleason's preaching. I know that you love preachers that come through here, but let me tell you something. There's enough in the news media that you ought to come through the doors shouting and running and grabbing each other and forget these weak praise the Lord's. Why don't you grab each other and say, He's coming. Jesus is coming. Have you heard the news today? Have you read the news today? Jesus is coming. There's Bible prophecy being fulfilled right now. You ought to come. Whether he preaches a word, there's enough going on, people. If you know anything about the Bible, you ought to be on your feet. You ought to be clapping. You ought to be shouting. You ought to be worshiping God because our days here are numbered. Hallelujah. Jesus. I sat in the office of Rabbi Gatz, who is who was in control of the Wailing Wall with a tour group of mine, and he told us things that were absolutely incredible. He had been in the secret caverns underneath the Temple Mount. I can take you to the Temple Institute in the Jewish quarter in Old Jerusalem, and I can, you can hear a lecture by a woman whose name is Esther. Her lecture alone is worth the entire tour price to Israel. I've never seen anyone like her. I've never heard anything like it. She is powerful. She knows more about the temple and the tabernacle plan than the priests do. And when they want answers, they come to her for her answers. And my group goes there, and we get to crying and praying, and she doesn't know what to do with us. She said, but I can tell you feel God. I said, lady, you have no idea how much we feel God because the power of the truth that is taking place in this hour is basically overwhelming. But if you sit in the Temple Institute with those rabbis, they will tell you exactly how many feet you are seated from the actual Ark of the Covenant that was hidden underneath the Temple Mount. They know exactly where it is. <clears throat> in fact, it's such an amazing thing because you have to understand something that when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D. under Titus and his hordes of soldiers from Rome, the Bible says in the book of Acts that many of the priests in the temple believed. You can read it in the book of Acts. That means they had the Holy Ghost. They were baptized in Jesus' name. And the gifts of the Spirit were just absolutely explosive in that first church. They had prophecies. There were tongues and interpretation. They knew that the destruction of the temple was coming. So what they did was... They hired artists to come in and make replicas of the candlestick, the shovels, the basins. They made replicas of the originals, and in the night, they replaced the originals with replicas. So Titus did not take the originals back to Rome. He was only parading replicas. The actual furniture was hidden underneath the Temple Mount. They also believe that when the Temple of Solomon was built, the tabernacle plan was collapsed, wrapped in those various uh, curtains and those wrappings, and they also are buried somewhere under the Temple Mount. Do you have any idea what would happen to Judaism if they actually pulled out the actual relics from the temple at the time of Jesus, and they pulled out the tabernacle pieces under Moses? It would spark a revival in Judaism unlike anything the world has ever, ever known. 
all of those things are being discussed in this hour. You will also know, I have gone in this Temple Institute, I take my people there because I want them to see that they're planning to build the next temple. They have recreated all the priest robes. They, they're making them out of the very same material that the, that the priest in the Temple of Solomon wore. They have this they have everything. They have the miters. They have everything. They have recreated the shovels, the basins, candlesticks. They have, they have all, they're made out of solid gold. They have the, um, the, the scapegoat. They have all of these things together where they, they cast lots for the, for, the, for the scapegoat and all that. They've got all of those things together. They've got a crown of solid gold. I've touched it. This says holiness to the Lord that they want the next high priest to wear on his mitre. I was there when they brought the instrument in that carries the water for the water oblation sacrifice. Solid gold. I've never seen anything like it in my life. I've seen all of that. They have recovered the various spices for the incense. They have discovered the little sea animal that they got the purple dye from to dye the ropes. It's all there. They've got it. It's in place. They are prepared to build the next temple. It's all in place. Lift your hands and just worship the Lord for a moment because I can tell that there is just an awesomeness that has come upon some of your people. Here, here is what is so intriguing to me. The artist that they have gathered together to recreate these gold and silver utensils and pieces of furniture in the next temple, guess what? They've traced the lineage back until the family and the artists now that are recreating these vessels for the next temple are descendants of the same families that built them for Solomon in the Temple of Solomon. It's the same group of family artists. <clears throat> it's just all falling in place. And you've read in Ezekiel about the river that flows underneath the temple. It's, it's ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, waters to swim in. There's going to be a river that flows beneath the throne of God when Jesus reigns before his ancients gloriously. During the millennial reign, they now have found a rushing mighty river under the Temple Mount that is already flowing. It's already there. And then you all know the story about Abraham. He took Isaac. The Bible says he took Isaac to one of the mountains of Moriah. You know that? There's such a hassle, such a great controversy over a building called the Dome of the Rock. And I know that you know that. And it's now the second most holy place to all of the Arabs and the Muslims in the world. Now, think about this. <coughs> the Temple Mount is here. And it was originally a threshing floor on the lower edge of this mountain. That is where the Temple of Solomon was built. Okay? The Dome of the Rock is built over a rock, supposedly, that Abraham offered Isaac upon and Muhammad ascended to heaven on a white horse from all of that. And it's all here. But the Bible says that Abraham took Isaac to one of the mountains of Moriah. We know biblically that whenever a prophet of old offered a sacrifice, 
they went to the highest point on that mountain and built their altars at the very pinnacle of the mountain, the highest part of the mountain, to get the sacrifice closer to God. They never built their altars in the low places of the valleys. They went to the top of the mountains, the very highest part of the mountain, and built their altar there, and then offered their sacrifice so the incense would go straight into the very throne of God. This is miraculous. This is one of the most inspirational things I've ever got a hold of. If you look, stand on the Mount of Olives and look across the Kidron Valley to the Temple Mount, it is Moriah. But if you look topographically and follow that mountain around to the highest point on that mountain, guess where it ends? Golgotha. It ends exactly where Jesus was crucified. Abraham took Isaac to the very place where Jesus would be crucified because Isaac was a perfect type of the Christ. Isaac was offered where the Messiah eventually would be crucified to the highest point on Moriah. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus. Something else that is fascinating to me. I read about this on an airline, and I think it was Time Magazine, about a place called the House of Harari in Jerusalem. The story is that in the House of Harari, they are rebuilding harps for the next temple. They'll have thousands and thousands of harpists, just like they did in the time of the temple in Solomon's day and David in the tabernacle because they played harps. There were thousands of them that played. In fact, Jewish rabbis will tell you that the music filled all of the mountains round about Jerusalem. And when they offered the evening's sacrifice of incense in the evening, the fragrance of that incense covered the whole city of Jerusalem and wafted down through the valleys, and donkeys in Jericho sneezed because they could smell the incense that was coming down from the mountains when the people of God worshipped their God with incense. And the rabbis tell you that no matter how hard the wind blew, the smoke of the blood sacrifice that was burned on the brazen altar, the smoke always rose in a perfect straight line, no matter how hard the wind blew. And in spite of all of the animals sacrificed and all the blood on the Temple Mount, not one fly was ever seen on the Temple Mount. Holiness unto the Lord cleanliness and purity, righteousness that hath no equal. Lift your hands and worship again. Jesus. Jesus. But in this temple of Harare, or in this shop, his house of Harare, rather, I'm sorry. There was a young couple in their 30s, they were artists, and they began to remake these harps. And the article I read said that they had recreated the 10-string harp 
So I thought to myself, I am going to take my tour group there to see this ten-stringed harp. We will go to the house of Harare. So when I got to Jerusalem, I found it. I found out where it was. And I walked there and saw it. So I knew where to go. So I took a group of my tourists, the group that was with me, especially those who were interested in music. I said, we're going to go to a certain place. If you'd like to come, you can. So about 10 or 12 went. We went to the house of Harare. And I knocked on the door. And a very gracious young Israeli woman opened the door, very modest, extremely modest in dress and appearance. And I said to her, I said, I'm Reverend Stone King. I host tours here. And I said, I have read about the house of Harare. And we want to see the harps that you have created that will be used when they build the next temple. But she opened the door wide and said, please come in. I said, and I also know about the ten-stringed harp. And I said, I especially want to see that. She said, let me tell you the story of the ten-stringed harp. I said, all right. She said, for all of these centuries, since practically the time of Solomon, the ten-stringed harp was lost. No one ever really knew in Judaism what it actually looked like or its dimensions. It was totally lost. She said, but at Megiddo, they found among the ruins a piece of stone that had the ten-stringed harp engraved on it. So they were able to take that architectural find and they were able to determine and decipher the measurements because of other things around it, its size, and they set about to create this ten-stringed harp. It looks very much like a horseshoe like this with a base and there are ten strings on it. And so she reached for the shelf. I was trembling. I was absolutely trembling. She reached for the shelf and she said, here is the ten-stringed harp. And she took it down and just passed it through the air like this be up in front of us. And we were allowed to reach out and touch it. And then she sat down and she began to pluck these strings. I could feel the whole ghost. I mean, he was in that place. Oh, and the melody was incredible. She said, there's not a lot of sound that you can hear. She said, but I want each of you to hold this harp, put it near your ear, and pluck the strings. And when you did, your whole head was filled with she said, this is what David played. She said, because it didn't trouble anything and no one could hear him far off. But if he held it near his head, he could sing softly to the sheep and play. And his head was filled with music like an orchestra. She said, but the interesting thing about this story is, she said, after we had recreated it and it was done, we announced it to the state of Israel and it was on the six o'clock news that they had rebuilt and redesigned. And it was in existence now, after thousands of years, the ten-stringed harp. She said, one morning at sunrise, there was a terrible knock on the door of our shop. She said, my husband, I woke up. We didn't know what was going on. Who would be knocking at this time of morning? So we, we put on our robes and came tearing down those stairs. We went to the door, pulled the curtain back, and here was an old aged rabbi bent over, knocking at the door. She said, what is a rabbi doing before, practically before sunrise at our shop? She said, we opened the door and greeted him and asked him if we could help him. He said, yes. 
He said, I have, I have been told that you have recreated the ten-stringed harp. They said, yes. He said, may I see it? They said, of course, come in. So they invited this little old rabbi in. And Kadeba Sharona, she said, I reached up on the shelf for the ten-string harp, and I began to pass it through the air toward him. She said, when I did, he reached out and touched it, and he took off dancing and shouting wildly, shouting and dancing in Hebrew. She said, he nearly tore our little shop up. She said, he was just screaming and shouting and dancing. And my husband and I were looking at each other, what is he doing? So after about 15 minutes of that without stopping, he stopped. And they said to him, why are you so excited about this harp? He said, oh, because it is written among our sages that when the ten-stringed harp appears once again among the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Messiah will appear. Oh, oh. So what I'm saying here today in view of what's going on, in view of what is in place, in view of what is happening. There is nothing in this world that should be allowed to come between you and your contact with God. There is no relative, there is no husband, there is no wife, there is no son, there is no daughter, there is no mother, there is no father, there is no immorality, there is no movie, there is no, there is no wealth, there is no job, there is no education. Nothing should separate you from your contact with God. Because people, we cannot miss the rapture. We cannot miss the rapture. We cannot miss the rapture. That's why I am so fanatical in this hour. That's why I am so emphatic in this hour. I've got nothing to lose. I've got everything to gain. I've got to make it. I've got to make it. But you've got to make it. I want you to make it. You've got to make it. Nothing, nothing should separate you from the love of God. If you concur with that, would you come to your feet? And would you just let your voice out for a moment? Would you just simply cry out to God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why miracles are being restored in this hour. That's why there are healings, mighty healings. An apostolic ministry is being restored. The fivefold ministry is being restored because it is the end and God is going to sweep through this world with might and power like you've never seen before. And in the midst of all of this, the clouds are going to open one of these days and Jesus is going to come through those clouds. There's going to be a shout. There's going to be the blast of a trumpet. There's going to be the voice of the archangel and suddenly you may be walking along some place you'll take a step and your foot will catch on the air and you'll never touch the ground again and you will find yourself going up because he's going to come he's going to come exactly as it is written he is going to come I feel like shouting and screaming and I can do it because I don't have to preach again here if I lose my voice so what but I feel exuberant I feel jubilant I want to hail him I want to worship I want to shout the praises of God he is glorious 
He is wonderful, this Jesus. There is no one like him. He deserves our praise and our worship. Do you feel like shouting? Do you feel like running? Do you feel like jumping up and down? Do you feel like grabbing somebody and just praying with them today in the presence of the Lord? Clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph, a voice of triumph in the name of Jesus of Nazareth such as I have, such as I have in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. You young people, don't you let anybody talk you out of this. You young people, don't you let anybody talk you out of this. You keep living this. You keep dancing this. You keep shouting this. You keep preaching this because God's going to use some of you. Some of you are going to be mighty preachers. Some of you are going to be mighty preachers before this is over. I can feel it. There's an anointing in this area. So why don't you grab a hold of each other? Why don't you come running today? Why don't you just grab a hold of each other and begin to command in Jesus Jesus name and begin to praise the Lord why not in the name of Jesus you have nothing to lose everything to gain in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus that's it that's it that's it that's it that's it you adults get a hold of each other that's it that's it that's it the Holy Ghost has got a hold of you man the Holy Ghost you need to be out here where you can be free to do it you need to be free to do it in the name of Jesus yes 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 even so Lord Jesus come quickly even so Lord Jesus come quickly in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus there are more of you that need to get out in the aisle. There are more of you that need to get out in the aisles. This is the last service of this particular conference. You've got nothing to lose, people. Some of you want to get loose. Some of you want to get loose like you've never been loose. This is your day. This is your day in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth. In the name of Jesus. Yes, 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 yes. Does anybody feel like just running to this altar? Does anybody feel like just running to this altar? and saying, by the grace of God, I'm going to be in that number. By the grace of God, I'm going to be in that number. I will be in that number. I will rise to meet him when he comes in the clouds of glory. Yes, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Such as I have an anointing to be upon you, an anointing to be upon you, an anointing of worship and praise, that you will be fearless, that you people will from this day on you will be fearless in your worship that you will come to worship him that you will worship him that you will exalt him in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth may you never be the same may you never be the same may you never be the same in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus thank you for listening to this message for more content follow us on Facebook Instagram and YouTube at the Life Church KC reference the episode notes for more details